0: morning everybody it's great to be with you again this morning um we're gonna be obviously in the book of mark so i'd encourage you to go ahead and get your phones or turn your bibles to there and um also even you you can uh, even prepare yourself and turn to daniel chapter 7 because we're gonna look at that kind of quickly too so um Uh, While you're doing that, I wanted to, uh, as we got started, do a recap from last week. For those of you who weren't here, hopefully it'll be helpful. And for those of you who were here, hopefully it'll be a great reinforcement. But uh, Tom Bernardo did a great job of sharing uh, about the inside-out kingdom. The week before, I had talked about the upside-down kingdom And Tom shared about the inside-out kingdom in Matthew chapter 16. And on our stage, he had four chairs. They were empty. They were just folding chairs. But they represented four different kinds of people, what they're thinking, what, what, maybe where their hearts were at. And on one chair, uh, it was, Jesus is a guy who's worth listening to. He's just a really good guy. And... Yeah, probably a little better than me, no worse, and probably a lot better than some of the other people I know, but that was about it. And then he talked about a second chair, and in that second chair, if people sat in that second chair, they were saying, hey, I will let Jesus do something for me, right? And he was talking about, you know, the whole thing is, hey, I know a guy. I know a guy, so if, if you just connect with him, hey, you know, he, he can help you out, he can hook you up. And there's a lot of people who are just sitting in that chair, I, I know this guy, he's a pretty good guy. But that's about the extent of it. It's not like they're really close friends, it's just somebody that, yeah, I'll try to hook something up. You know, I know that happens a lot in work, right? Or, or a lot of times, if people, uh, you know, when you go on, um, uh, for a while, I was on Santa Margarita neighborhood, and then I had to get off of it because, you know, uh, it just gets um, bombarded. Hey, does anybody know a good plumber? And and it starts going like that, which is cool but then they start putting all their parameters. You know, he has to be really cheap and inexpensive, but he's gotta have good references, and, and he's got you know, I want somebody who's gonna do good work, and, and all those things, I, I, I'd like that too, right? But then it's like you'd see people reply, oh, I know a guy. Oh, oh yeah, hey, I got somebody. Oh, my, my husband does that. And that's kind of a synonymous with people, how they look at Jesus. What Tom said. And then there's the cross. So you've got two people that are sitting on one side of the cross. And then the next two chairs are, are on the other side of the cross. And, and these are people who say, hey, I, I'll let Jesus do something in me. And, and those people sitting over in that third chair are like, hey, yeah, I, I, I want to pray and ask him into my heart. And and I want him to be my savior. And that's where they stay. There's nothing wrong with that in the sense of, okay, at least they've accepted the truth of who Jesus is. But they don't move. They don't take any steps to grow in that relationship with Jesus. In that third chair, it was more kind of like fire insurance. Well, I don't want to go to hell, so the alternative, okay, yeah, I guess I'll accept Jesus. And and that's where they're at. And then finally, in the fourth chair, he said, I will let Jesus live his life through me. So it's not just uh, letting Jesus do something in me, but I'm going to let him live his life through me. And all this was out of the passage in in Matthew chapter 16, verses 13 through through 28. And those were internal actions Tom shared with us. Because in there, Jesus said, hey, if anyone wants to follow after me, he had to do three things. You have to deny yourself, you have to pick up your cross, and you have to follow me daily. Now, I could focus on that same exact passage this week, because it, it, it's so pivotal, but I want to try to just um, challenge us with some, some differences, while at the same time, in Mark, that's in chapter 8, where, where we'll confront that. But um, today, we're going to look at what people, what the people in Mark's gospel uh, said about Jesus. And if you have your panel, it's, it, it would be over on that far left panel, Act 1, who is Jesus? And so I just thought, okay, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to attack this in, in kind of a different way. And we'll see um, where, where, where we head to. About the book of Mark, just some things that maybe you maybe of interest, not gonna spend a lot of time on it, but um, it was written by John Mark. John is his Hebrew name, and Mark is his Latin name. And so, um, it's not that he had two names. He was John, but for his audience, he translated that into his Latin name, and that was uh, Mark. It was written from Peter's perspective. So these are stories that Mark brought together and, and heard um, from Peter. Most scholars say that he wasn't um, eyewitness of Jesus' events, but that because he had a relationship with Paul, and for those of you who do a study on, on Mark or John, or if I just do John Mark, um, he had gone on the very first Uh, missionary journey with the Apostle Paul and with Barnabas who happened to be his cousin and he went there and for some reason Scripture doesn't tell us he came home early and because of that later on there was a rift between Paul and Barnabas Barnabas said let's take him with us the second time and Paul said no way he abandoned us and so then there was such a split that all of a sudden Paul took Silas and Barnabas and Mark, then went someplace else. So this is the same guy. But he wasn't, uh, he, he wasn't, his story wasn't over. In fact, I think it was just kind of beginning. But he wrote this from a perspective because Peter And he were so together that he was probably writing what Peter was sharing, all these different stories. And that's how we got this gospel. It was written in Rome somewhere, probably while he and Peter was over in Rome. Either in the late 50s, maybe the early 60s. Before the 20th century, not a whole lot of weight was given to Mark. Mark. He was kind of like, ah, eh, yeah, well, okay. Because everybody thought that he had taken his information from Matthew and from Luke. But the truth of the matter is, they took their information from him as scholars dug and dug and dug. 601 of Mark's 678 verses are repeated in Matthew. And a large number in Luke. It's the shortest of the four Gospels. And it's short because it's a book of action. It jumps from one miracle to another. Healing confrontations, uh, also confrontations with with the scribes and the leaders. It also deals with feeding thousands on two different occasions. He also calmed the storms. He also walked on the water. He showed his power over the whole physical nature of the world. And he also did teaching, though Mark's gospel has the least amount of Jesus' teaching recorded. Why? Because Mark just wanted to hit on the action points. Man, just let me know, what did Jesus do? And so he just kept flowing and flowing and flowing with that. The word immediately, the adverb and the form of it, occurs over 42 times just in this gospel. Because as, as Mark tells a story, he goes, and immediately the demon came out. You're like, whoa. And immediately and he shares something else that's going on. He was just a guy who's like, man, this is what it's all about. About 40% of this gospel details the last eight days of Jesus' life. Mark doesn't start off like Matthew or Luke and give the genealogies and the birth history and and kind of the, the prophecies about it. And he's not like John who talks about in the beginning was the word, And the Word was with God, the Word was God. No, He starts right from the life of Jesus. As soon as His ministry starts, that's where Mark picks up because it was all about the action. The phrase Son of Man occurs over 14 times in Mark and over 80 times in all the Gospels. It was Jesus' favorite way of describing Himself. That was Jesus' way. Instead of I, he would say the Son of Man. And that was his favorite description of himself. So as we get there, who is Jesus? And I'm just going to have you open up your Bibles. Mark chapter 1. And uh, what I just did is I tried to look through. We're not going to be in any um, one short passage which I normally like to do, but this is still gonna be more of an overview. And so in Mark chapter one, we we see, hey, here's what John Mark says, and and as you saw in the video, this is the only place where, where, where Mark gives his view. Everything else is just recording all the events. This is the only place where Mark shares what he thinks. He says the beginning of the gospel about Jesus, the Messiah, or Jesus Christ, the Son of God. So right off the bat, we just kind of go, okay, this is the good news about Jesus, and he's saying, and Jesus is the Messiah. But he used the term Christ. We'll come back to that in a little bit. And he said, the Son of God. If we go on down and and we we change a little, just drop on down to verse 7, we're going to see, okay, what did John the Baptist say about him? And as this was his message, after me will come one more powerful than I, the thongs of whose sandals I am not worthy to stoop down and untie. He's saying, hey, Jesus is more powerful and more worthy than myself. It's like, okay. That could be a description of, of uh, an ordinary human, right? If, if we have that view of somebody, we say, oh, wow. Man, that guy. And I, 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 I hold him in such high respect. Right? Um, uh, men of integrity that you look at. And again, I can't help it. It's pretty hard to to knock it, though a lot of people have, but someone like a Billy Graham for me. Like, he's not perfect. He is now. But when he walked this earth, there was a humility about him. And there was a presence about him. He was so committed to the mission that God gave him to preach the word. He gave a simple gospel message in which millions of people heard and accepted and their lives were changed. But Billy's just a man. And John John the Baptist was talking about someone who was more powerful than him. But also someone's like, man, I I can't even untie this guy's sandals. I'm not even worthy of that. Low job. And then if you just drop down to verse 11, we get to see what God the Father says. Because it's right as as after Jesus had been baptized by John, he says, and a voice came from heaven, you are my son whom I love and who pleases me. That's pretty good. Later on in chapter 9, Verse seven, Jesus during the trans, transfiguration, Jesus uh, gets to hear these words: "This is my son, whom I love." And then he adds on to this to the three apostles who are with them with him. God the Father says, to him, "Listen to him." It's like that's pretty powerful. But also, let, let's hear from, from some others. And so, you know what? If, if we uh, drop on down to verse 23 and 24 of chapter 1, we get to see something that, um, uh, um, uh, in verse 23, it says, Just then, a man in their synagogue, who was possessed by an evil spirit, cried out, What do you want with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. So this evil spirit that's speaking through this man, it's not the man himself, it's that evil spirit who's inside, who took residence within this man, says, I know who you are, you're the Son of God. That's not the first time in the book of Mark. Let's look on over and drop down to verse 33 and 34. It says, uh, verse 32, that evening after sunset the people brought Jesus, all the sick and demon-possessed. It says the whole town gathered at the door and Jesus healed many who had various diseases. He also drove out many of the demons, but he would not let the demons speak because they knew who he was. Throughout the Gospel of Mark, Jesus is telling the people that he heals, go, but don't tell anybody. He commands the the evil spirits, the demons, you're cast out. Or in this case, don't you say a word of who I am. Because Jesus did not want that plan revealed yet. And so it seems kind of crazy, at least in my thinking, but Jesus, throughout, 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 he's telling, don't say a word. Don't tell what happened. I'd be thinking, yeah, you can tell him Craig did it. (laughs) Right? Like, that's right, I'm the man. I mean, even if I didn't do it on the outside, I'd be thinking that and feeling that on the inside. I'm just trying to be honest with you. And and all of a sudden, particularly when it comes to the to the demons, oh man, that's right, that's right, you're out of here. And you can tell all your buddies, I did it. That's just what I'm thinking. But but Jesus doesn't do that. Even the spiritual underworld recognized Jesus as the Messiah. Don't forget that. They, they know who he is and they already know that they're defeated. They don't even try to do a battle with Jesus. They're just like, oh, okay. Don't. In one case, hey, you know what? Don't, uh, can, you, can you cast us into those pigs? We'll go into the pigs. Just don't condemn us yet. That's, coming later on that's at the great judgment and they they didn't want it they know it's coming so they're doing everything they can to delay themselves also in chapter three you, you, you see this in, in in verse 11 and uh i gotta I got get myself turned on over there and it says, whenever the evil spirits saw him, they fell down before him and cried out, you are the son of God. But he gave them strict orders not to tell who he was. Hmm. Now, who, who are some others who, who say about Jesus? And guess what? It kind of seems unfair, but as I was reading through this entire passage, uh, uh, the entire book, um, his family. What did his family say? Probably what my family says about me quite often. If you look in chapter 3, verse 21. Chapter 3, verse 21. I'm going to start at verse 20, though. Then Jesus entered a house, and again a crowd gathered, so that he and his disciples were not even able to eat. When his family heard about this, they went to take charge of him. So let me just stop for a second. Jesus and his disciples were so busy. The people were so excited. It's like, oh my goodness, anybody they knew. Remember what we talked about earlier? Hey, I know a guy. Hey, your sick son or daughter, come on. Oh, hey, your brother who's who's got leprosy, hey, come on. Hey, you know what? If, If you've been dealing with female issues, and that's recorded in here for 12 years, I know a guy. And the crowds were pressing in around him. And so they didn't even have time to eat sometimes. They, they, they didn't. And, and yet, here's his family thinking, oh my goodness. He, he's not taking care of himself. we got to come and help him. But, but look at what it says that they say. It says when his family heard about this, they went to take charge of him. Meaning, take, help him. Protect him. But it says, for they said, he's out of his mind. Now that's his family. That's his family saying this. Imagine them just kind of going, oh, Jesus, wait, wait. You're what? Huh? You're who? Come on, man, you're my brother. My actual brother. Brother my physical brother. What do you think you're doing going around doing these things? How are you doing these things? I don't know, but are you going a little crazy here? And that's all we have recorded about what his family says, at least in, in the book of Mark. Now, if you look at the very next verse in in verse 22, and the teachers of the law in chapter three, who came down from Jerusalem. He is possessed by Beelzebub. By the prince of demons, he is driving out demons. Wow, yeah, that makes a lot of sense, right? Makes a whole lot of sense. That that he's possessed by Satan so that he can drive out Satan's demons out of people. But see, these these teachers of the law, they they didn't know what to do with him. I mean, Jesus is talking as someone with authority. How could he, a carpenter, someone from the local Galilee, in that little, little town Nazareth, how can he talk with such authority? So they had to try to come up with something to discredit him, and so somebody, you know, Wisely, oh, man, he's, he's being possessed by Satan. And Satan's using him to get rid of everybody else. And Jesus deals with that. He talks to him about that. But still, you know, down in verse 30, it says, Jesus had said this because he, he, he dealt with that about how can someone stand, you know, a house is divided against itself. And he said this because they were saying he has an evil spirit. Now turn to chapter five. In chapter five you get to see a, a demon-possessed hermit. And uh, in, in verses one through 13, and this guy was, was man, he wasn't just possessed by one, but uh, drop down to verse six. When he saw Jesus from a distance, this is this hermit, he ran and fell at his, on his knees in front of Jesus. He shouted at the top of his voice, What do you want with me, Jesus, Son of the Most High God? Swear to God that you won't torture me. For Jesus had said to him, Come out of this man, you evil spirit. Then Jesus asked him, not the man himself, but the spirit inside of him, "Oh, What's your name? He said, my name is Legion, for we are many. And he begged Jesus again and again not to send them out of the area. Most commentators believe not just the the area, the proximity there, but out of this realm. And so Jesus lets them go into a a herd of pigs. They asked, send us into there. And Okay, he gave permission. The evil spirits came out. You know what happened? They got in the pigs. They ran on down the hill. But even again, their recognition. People of his hometown. Oh, this one's always great. Chapter 6. Turn to chapter 6 and verses 1 through 3. People of his hometown. They say in verse 3 Isn't this the carpenter? Isn't this Mary's boy? Yeah, and that too. (laughs) It happens. Isn't this the brother of James and Joseph and Judas and Simon? Don't his sisters live right here with us too? So they're just going, wait a minute. This is a carpenter. He's no no Messiah. He's no son of God. His family grew up right here. A lot of them probably he wasn't going to amount to much. I knew he was off his rocker, you know? Others, some said, uh, if you drop down in chapter 6, verses 14 to 16, John the Baptist, who was raised from the dead. Others said Elijah. And then King Herod himself, in verse 16, says that John the Baptist, the man I beheaded, has been raised from the dead. Herod was scared out of his wits because he got tricked into killing John the Baptist by his stepdaughter. And go to chapter 7, and you see in in verses 31 through 37, you can see that people were amazed in the region of the Decapolis, and that just means the 10 cities, all real in close proximity of each other. And and they said, hey, man, he's a miracle worker. He's a, a healer. The deaf can hear, and the mute speak. And then we get to chapter 8, and it just says, around Caesarea Philippi, and uh, as that's happening, Jesus asks, who do the people say that I am? And that's kind of, again, similar. We're right back to where Tom was at last week with us in Matthew chapter 16. And again, the disciples replied, hey, John the Baptist, Elijah, now they're speaking on behalf of all the people that they've heard, all the the rumblings that are going on. This isn't their own uh, uh, description. This is them explaining, oh, yeah, Jesus, I've heard this, i heard this, i heard this. Or he's he's one of the prophets. We don't know which one, but he's a prophet. And then that's when Jesus turns and, and flips it. Verse 29, but what about you? Who do you say I am? And then we know that Peter answered. And he said, uh, when he answered, he really answered for all of them. This wasn't just Peter. He can't take all the credit. They were all in this. He said, you're the Christ. And Christ is the Greek word Messiah is the Hebrew word. They're the same word. That's why sometimes you'll hear Jesus the Messiah or Jesus Christ because Jesus Christ means Jesus the Messiah. And both those words mean the anointed one. Jesus, you are the anointed one. Now, I don't know about you, but I'd be thinking, did I get the answer right, Jesus? Did I, did, did I answer that one correctly? Come on, come on. And he did, but he completely misunderstood what that was going to be all about. Completely missed the boat. What did Jesus say about himself just in verses uh, 31? He just said, hey, Jesus said, he's the son of man. But what did he say? I got to suffer a whole lot. And he also said, I'm going to be rejected. I'm going to be rejected by the elders, those that you respect. I'm going to be rejected by the chief priests. I'm going to be rejected by the scribes and the teachers of the law. And not only am I going to be rejected, but I've got to be killed. I'm going to be murdered. But I'm going to raise again after three days. Man, the that was so far out of what they were possibly thinking. It wasn't even close to what they were thinking, because even though Peter said you are the Christ, and Jesus would say, yeah, I am the Messiah, I am the Anointed One, you'd think, oh yeah, we're on the same terms. But nope, because for Peter and the and the rest of the disciples, it was an earthly king only. He was going to be just like David. They had been told along the line of David, the Messianic King. So they were looking for somebody who is going to relieve them of their oppression from the Romans. The Romans were cruel. They were a machine. They could just wipe out anybody at that time. And later on, Nero did. In AD 70, Jerusalem leveled but but for Peter and the rest of the uh, apostles, they're going, he's going to be a great military leader. He's going to be a political deliverer. Unfortunately, today, there's many people who think in politics that that's going to be our deliverer. Never has, never will be. Never has, never will be. So f- I don't care w- what... Uh, side you line yourself up with, never has, never will be. I see that dividing Christians probably more than anything else. If we're aligned in Christ, now now we can see something happening. But see, we're just like, like Peter and, and like the rest of the apostles of that time, and like all the rest of the Jews are like, man, we can't wait for the messianic king to come back. And Jesus comes back, and he's like, yeah, but I'm not going to be what you expected. And they couldn't fathom it. Three different times he tries to explain it to them, and they don't get it. They just don't get it. They're looking for this messianic king to bring back the glory days of David. Bring back those glory days where man we conquered everybody around us. Where God was with us and wow, everything it seemed that seemed that King David did, God just blessed. Bring those days back. And Jesus is saying, "Man, you're focusing on the wrong thing. You're focusing on conquering the Romans." I'm focusing on conquering Satan and death and sin. You're focusing on this world right now and I'm focusing on not just this world but the world after. Jesus has an eternal perspective. His kingdom had come on earth with him coming but he was not going to bring about Everything that came out in the way that people expected. And I think, how am I any different from the apostles when I think about Jesus? When I think about what chair I'm in, I'd love to say I'm in the fourth chair, but there's times I'm just sitting in the third chair. I'm good. I'm kind of tired. Or I might be sitting in the second chair. Reality. I mean, I, I, I haven't lost my salvation. But I'm sitting there going, come on, Jesus. I know a guy. I know a guy. He can do this. And my prayers reflect what I want or what I desire instead of Jesus' prayers that reflect not my will, but yours be done. See, this term, the Son of Man, wow, it comes from Daniel chapter 7, verses 13 and 14. This says, and this is Daniel with a vision, I was watching in the night visions, and with the clouds of the sky, one like a Son of Man was approaching. He went up to the ancient of days and was escorted before him to him was giving ruling authority honor sovereignty all peoples nations and language groups were serving him his authority is eternal and will not pass away his kingdom will not be destroyed peter as a verbal representative of the rest of the apostles couldn't even fathom that. They just saw the here and now. And Jesus is trying to let them know, listen, what you are expecting, that's not how I operate. That's not who I am. And then we see the the great the the, the great verse in chapter 10. After Jesus is Talked with them and, and for the third time, and, and they're still not getting it. And then Jesus just tells them, Man, for even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve, and to give his life as a ransom for many. He just got telling them, Hey, the way that you flourish in my kingdom is not by being first. It's by being last. It's not by being served, but it's by serving. And he speaks this right after James and John had had asked, he hey, can we be on your right and on your left? Because again, they're still thinking here and now. Because Jesus, we don't know how you're going to do it here, but when you're established as king, can, can we be in those best positions? And that's when Jesus is like, man, you guys, you guys, you just don't get it. And I think of myself today, uh, what, are, what is it that I don't get? And I challenge you today, what is it that you don't get about Jesus Why, why is it that um, we can both be saying the same things and meaning something totally different? Have you ever had a conversation like that with your spouse? You're saying the same things, but, boy, you just don't get it. Have you ever had that conversation with your kids? Looking right in the eye, you understand? Yeah, 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 yeah. Boom, don't get it. Or they're trying to talk to you. And I'm thinking, yeah, I get I, I, I got this. And I, I, have no, I have no clue. I think, okay, there's a, you've heard a whole lot of different things about what people have said about Jesus. We know how, how it goes. I didn't take the time today in this gospel, because maybe we'll hit it in, in John or Luke, uh, about the crucifixion. But the challenge, okay, what do we do with this kind of information? Like, you know our routine. We'll, we'll, we'll sing a couple more worship songs. We'll take our morning offering. We'll close our service off. And then, oh yeah, hey, have a great week. Boom, we walk on out there. And but What do we do with it? Because for Mark, it was all about action. What about for us? What action steps Would we need to make because every single one of us has different things that we need to do to apply it? Every single one of us. And so I I that's just my my challenge for today. What are you gonna do with who Jesus is? Are you satisfied with having fire insurance? I hope not. Because I think in some of the parables that we don't have time to talk about, Jesus says, yeah, there's a lot of people who think that they're going to be with me. Mm, it's not going to happen. Is there fruit? Is there fruit? I'm not trying to beat up on anybody. I'm just trying to ask the questions because I don't want to be the same guy. I don't want to be the same guy this week. And it kills me when I am. I was honored to be able to be digging into God's word incredibly this week, and yet I was just hammered with, how come you're not spending more time with me, Craig, on the other times when you're not preaching? I don't want to be just the same guy who's just existing and kind of living off, you know, the glory days. I want to be a guy who's still growing, who's still falling in love with Jesus, and I hope you want to be that kind of people too. Let's pray, Heavenly Father. I um, I just thank you for the fact that you had an incredible plan one that people of today still can't figure out, though you have tried to make it as simple as possible. But your plan revolves not about strategy, but it revolves around love. And it's love for your creation, us. The humans that you have created, that you have knit together in the wombs of our mothers. That you have put your imprint on and created us in your image. Father, I'm sorry for just going through the motions. And I pray that you can help me and help all of us to look at how we can grow in our love and our understanding grow in our faith with Jesus not just that they are words that feel good or get us emotional but Lord that to the core of our being challenge us and remind us that this world is not our home but our home is with you and our home is for eternity even if we can't grasp it Lord I thank you for this gospel and how Mark can just start the whole story off. The good news of Jesus the Messiah who is the Son of God. Lord, would you give us the the insight and the strength and the courage to live that in our lives? In Jesus' name.